you're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Welcome back to Innovative Minds. I have a very special guest with me that someone that I've been observing their growth and seeing how they operate. And as I talk about him, so many people have been fascinated to learn about how he has accelerated so quickly with his business and more recently how quickly he's been actually growing. So um, I welcome Arjun Paliwal, who is the founder and head of research at InvestorKit. He also is a co-host of Property Nerds podcast, if you're into property like I am. And more recently, he's actually one of the top 50 small business leaders, 2022 named. He's been featured on multiple media outlets like Sunrise, news.com.au, Property Investor 7. And we'll be finding out about how he got into exactly all those media outlets, how they discovered him, because we're all very curious about that full journey. So Arjun, with that, welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the introduction. Awesome. Well, Arjun, I know that you are usually talking about all your property thought leadership, and this is going to be a totally different angle that I wanted to pick and really understand about your journey, your mindset, because observing your property content amazing and you've got so many great tips. But I guess over the course of your career to get to where you are, and I'm seeing you make some really quick decisions. You make decisions really quickly when you are implementing team, when you're making a decision to work with people. And I guess I'm really curious about that journey for you over the course of since you started business to where you are and learning more about what has shifted in you as you know as a person owner that you are really looking like you're going for it you know you're really in a totally different space to potentially four years ago so I'd like to know a little bit about maybe you know how you started to how you've shifted mindset. Yeah, it's a very detailed question and it's good because it makes me think back to when I first started the business back in 2018. I think many people have a very distant memory about this or maybe don't even remember this at all, but back in 2018 and 19, for those who are in Sydney, it was actually one of the deepest declines in property markets that many would remember. We had many things stack up on top of each other, which was APRA and the changes in credit policy the negative gearing taunting and removal of that and labor and I guess also an oversupply from the big construction boom that had occurred. So all things going, many parts of Sydney saw between 5 and 15% in decline. And so what did Arjun decide to do? Launch a buyer's agency business. So, <laughs> so like that whole launching a business during that time period with an ideal customer of your business is seeing and hearing and feeling all the impacts and fear Why that was such a crucial part of my journey is that I'm glad I started then and not in the heart of the pandemic where then all this boom came about and everything happened really well because it built a resiliency of me to go, hey, I started then and it worked really well. So to know that, that was the starting point. But I think even when you wind back pre-business, my time in CBA and multiple banking roles, 
it had been progression at a very rapid rate. It had been speaking things into existence. Uh, it had been very much leaders that opened doors for me and allowed me just to operate so I could take that next journey and show them that, hey, I'm capable, I belong here, I'd like to belong here. And all of these things happening gave me a sense of confidence that I should attack business decisions, growth decisions with that same you know, fearlessness because if it works out well, it's obviously bliss. And if it doesn't work out well, I'm someone who can learn quickly and adapt. And that's just basically where I think the strengths and the journey came along. But it didn't come along instantly. It came along with all of these experiences over the years coming together. And I think the pandemic added to that, the fact that the pandemic happened. And during that time, I continued to invest in property. And during that time, I helped clients do that. It gave me another sense of resilience to go, hey, a global first, or in many people's eyes, a global first, as well as something that large. And yet here we are today. So it's instilled a new confidence that I'd like to make in, around decision-making. Awesome. You talk about fearlessness, and I think that is a key ingredient in success in business is the ability to have fearlessness. I literally, before you, two days ago, I just had Mark Matthews, who's a big wave surfer, come on the podcast, and he has moved his career from not just surfing, but to actually coach business leaders on to how to overcome fear. And he's obsessed with fear. And you've just now re-highlighted how to overcome that. So did you ever have fears in that last four years as you're operating? It's a fearlessness and what you just explained there. I truly believe that to overcome it, you have to feel it first, feel it rapidly and then let go of it rapidly. And that's the difference. I think when people talk about fear, for those who don't have action come off the back of it, it's usually because they let it linger for so long. Before every moment of what seems to the outside world a fearless action, I have fear, you know, because I soak it in. It hits me. What if our business doesn't have the demand respond to the supply I'm creating through the team growth? What if something massively changes or what if, you know, something happens to me or something else or everything? That, so there's fear in every decision, but at the speed in which I can process it and let it go the other way and know that you know, my worst case is a healthy worst case. That's kind of what's led me through that kind of decision-making process. And so I think to anyone who says they don't feel it, uh, probably not the truth is my opinion, but I would say it's how you process it and let it go the other side and just realize that, you know, you, you can move on and you can live with it. There's so many buyers agents that I've come across that look at you and look at your success and they're just one person thing and they're currently doing their job, right? And they're thinking maybe I could, you know, one day build my own business, but they're so fearful of, they love property, they might want to do it, but they don't have the guts. And they probably look at other people who've done it and lived it and they feel inspired by it. Do you think that there is still space for buyers agents to keep new buyers agents and new segments within the buyers agents to be created and owned? Or is it kind of, would you find that it's overpopulated, it's overcompetitive? Yeah, I don't think it's overcompetitive. I do feel that from an industry perspective, we're nowhere near the quantity at level of which, say, sales agents are. So no, the short answer to it is no. But at the same time, I do want to give some thinking to those maybe who are in a position of 
smaller businesses at the beginning and they want to grow, you have to find your sweet spot, right? Because in our smaller, much smaller, smaller days, our profit margins were very, very healthy. And I have to look in the mirror and be accepting that they half as I grow. You know, you do not stay on this infinite high profit margin as you grow a business. And so people may look at that and go, no, well, I don't want the responsibility of managing a team of 20 like Arjun does or growing, you know, multiple seven figures in revenue because I am content with the group of clients I look after, the profit I make at a smaller level, the impact I make at a smaller level in terms of quantity of people, and it works out just fine. But I would say that, you know, that's kind of where each person is to their own. And for me, I just had a decision around, look, we've impacted families during the property boom, not because of the boom, but exceeding the boom. So fun fact, our clients' properties were revalued by 29 to 49% more than what Aussie house prices grew over the last three years. So if we saw someone get a great 10% growth, well, we had 12.9 to 14.9 on average. So that being so fulfilling, it actually lit a fire underneath to go, we helped 200 plus purchases last 12 months. Why can't we make 400 plus purchases, have that outperformance, hit so many more families, create more jobs in my business as a process of doing that, have more time to be a leader as a process of doing that, and so I felt like all these connecting dots just made sense because we had started in a proven concept. So that was my purpose behind it. But if someone else's purpose doesn't have that purpose attached to it, they can still do just fine and still impact many people with a team of one, two or three. And that is by no means a wrong way to run a business. Why do you think that you have been so successful? Like there's so many other buyers agents that may not be able to grow to the quick extent that you have and haven't been, and we can talk about media exposure in a minute as well, but why do you think that you have been able to achieve that success in, I would say still a short amount of time, because I've seen other people that have been doing it longer and I don't think they've grown as quickly. Yeah. So firstly, the team behind us has just made such a big impact on the lives of customers. And I've been very fortunate that whilst growing the team, the genuineness in terms of the vision that we have and everyone coming on board. And it's very few business owners in my community of business owners I speak to can look at each other and go, you know what, my team from person one all the way to person 10 or 20 or 30, all of them have the customer in their hearts, in their mind as their decision is being made at the same level in line with the business owner. And that's, that's pretty rare. Like, I think like that's, that's been a big part of the success where the, I care about my clients just as much as my team does versus mm. the business owner needing to drag the team to that same level of care. I just love it when they have discussions with each other about, Hey, I was thinking maybe this pergola looks like it's not council approved. I don't think we should approve this one. What are your thoughts? And they're making decisions amongst each other. Like, yeah, I don't think so. It's on a busier road. Mm. Let's let this one go. And I'm just sitting there so proud realizing like, I didn't have to go in there and make a call to say, no, we should not be presenting it. They just thought of the customer in that way. So I think that's the first step. But the second thing I would say is we discovered what our strengths were very quickly. And mm -hmm. this industry, buyers, agents, sales agents, mortgage brokers, all of them, right? You have to discover where your strength is. 
And if you don't, you become a generalist very quickly. And the only way to be a successful business as a generalist is spend more than anyone, hire more than anyone, and, you know, go for as long as possible in compared to anyone. And then hopefully the acts of time, money, and, you know, size maybe benefit you. But that's not the way we wanted to go. We wanted to focus on an alley. And our alley was that two things. We could produce more research and insights than any other buyer's agency business out there. And we felt we were the best at interpreting it. And so we drew a natural connection of finance professionals, property professionals, mortgage brokers, lawyers, small business owners. These four to five professional types really started gravitating towards us. And funnily enough, they were the folks that loved the numbers the most. And mm. so we found very quickly that we were going to be the most data-driven, research-driven buyers agency in the country. And so once we knew that was our calling and the banking, finance, legal industry trusted us as their core specialist, that was a calling to go, hey, the folks who do all the numbers and get all gritty on the details on investing, they want that. And this is who we speak to. So that was the second thing. And I'd say the final thing is results. At the end of the day, you have to pride yourself on customer results and not over glorify what you do. And people get offended when I say this, but I simply buy property. A sales agent simply sells property and a mortgage broker simply processes paperwork for a loan to be approved. The moment we get through our own heads how simple and not glorifying what we do is that we realize that it's just people connecting with people and delivering the results people are after and not thinking of ourselves as too much or too good because the truth is pushing paper, buying property, selling property. Like that's the simplest forms of what we do. And those who fall in love with what they do in the process of what they do and over glorify and how smart we are or how tactful we are or how, how much we make a difference because of our years of experience here, it's too much of them when I just realize or no, I just need someone to not reach out to me first. I need to reach out to them first. I need to make sure that what they're after, we can actually deliver. So don't over promise them and not make it happen. And then third is that I spend more time practicing, learning, reading in my field of what they do. So I have to make sure I'm sharper at what I do than what they would to naturally fulfill their need, right? So if I just focus on these three things, the truth is that's kind of where I feel that success came from. Did you feel that any of the success was also, or did the media come because the success was there, the research was there? Um, because you said one thing I noticed about you is that you're very clear on your audience. And you said that I think it's so easy to be able to be partnered with you because you can be very clearly articulate, this is my person, this is what I need from these people are interested in doing business with me. No one's as clear as that. And that is absolutely why. But do you think that content and media attention helped your accelerate your growth? Or did that it, come as a result? It definitely did. It definitely did. So content's an interesting thing. Like, you know, at the start, you try and do everything. And when you try and do everything, it's exhausting. It can be overkill to those close to you. And then you start to realize that they start to fade away from being close to you. But the main thing is that it's a pivotal point in which people either give up on it or they keep going 
I just kept going with content the whole time, but I just changed it as I figured out who I was speaking to more. Now that whole figuring out who my client was and who I was speaking to did not happen overnight. It actually took me three years out of my four-year journey to figure out. So for the first three years, I was mindlessly effort, energy, all directions. I serve anyone, everyone. And yes, my business was growing those three years, but it was growing inefficiently without direction and strategy and focus. Year three to four, we exploded, right? We had multi-seven-figure revenues, we had seven-figure profits, and like everything started growing extremely well. And so what I would say is that you have to obviously continue your journey on content, but not give up, start to go until you find who you want to speak to, and then you've got to amplify it. And amplifying it was all about spending money. Content can be great when it's organic to kind of keep habits and activity there, but unless you start putting money behind it, it won't work. So that was the next phase, really putting money behind it. After we had the money behind it, what we came to realize was that media and all sorts of media out there, journalists, they don't connect to you just because you're paying to play, right? They will open the door for you when you pay to play, but mm -hmm. they will not give you the countless features and things unless you have the foundation and the base to do so. So I'm just very glad that when we started the pay to play world, we'd figured out who we wanted to talk to, how our difference is going to be and how we can give them more value than other people approaching the same journalist. So our research that we produce now, the quantity in which we can produce it, um, journalists love working with us. Journalists love working with our media teams because they know that, hey, whenever we are coming into the picture, we're producing a lot of insights at a faster rate than pretty much any other buyer's agency out there. Got it. So you're saying at what point a buyer's agency or any business should pay for media is once they're actually very clear as to what value they can add back to that media. So this organic content is great to understand what people want, what you're trying to say, and do lots of it to figure out what you want to say to the market. But once you're playing with media, you're saying you've got to be really clear and be able to add huge amounts of value for them. Otherwise, it's not, just, it's not going to get picked up. Yeah, I think the key here is that unless you figure out who you're going to talk to, where your difference maker is, where your specialization is. And then once you do start, you know, paid media, you need to be able to really have that value on standby anytime to give that out there. That until then, it's just going to be you doing it for ego yeah, than actual results. Did you ever work with business coaches or advice, like, you know, people that you really trusted to take you on this journey of growth? Was there at the beginning, in the last year, like, you know, do you believe in business coaches to help you? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You need them. Like, honestly, I'm not saying you should or want, you need them. And the key here that I realized on the business side of things is not having generalists either. As I kind of looked for that specialization and support in certain areas, the same way we hire people for divisions and their strengths in those divisions is the same way we need various coaches to help us in those angles or divisions as well. Now, another thing I think we should also think of is that I really quickly learned you can actually go through business coaches quite quickly too. So by that, I mean, it's okay to not feel like attached to a coach forever all the time, because what I quickly learned was they're there to help you solve problems. 
and maybe see what's right in front of you, the solution that's there to solve the problems. And once they're solved, some can help you solve new ones that come up over time and some solve for that niche and you've learned and you've gotten what you were getting out of it. So that's kind of been my view on them. To date, I still have some. And I feel it's a humbling way to make sure you're not constantly hearing your own voice. And uh, that's quite an important factor to growth in business, in my opinion. And it's the same when you kind of have collaboration sessions with the team and you're trying to get ideas from the team and how empowering that feels and how much new ideas come from it that you go, why didn't I think of this? Well, that's the beauty of having other voices around you. And that's what I learned quickly. I guess the only tip I can share in business coaches is that they each also have their own scars, meaning they all kind of have stories and battle stories of what they didn't go well and how they came about fixing it or their beliefs of certain things. And they may conflict with your beliefs. Like there's some people I know who believe in a certain way of scaling a business then some that don't. Some have drivers around how much profit they make, some much drivers around how much lifestyle to get back or how other things they, they work on. And so you need to pick who you align with based on similar kind of passions or ways they look on things. But when you are working with people who don't have that, you just got to find a way to take what you want from it and not be too attached to their scars or bad stories because I've heard some advice come to me off the back of their own scars where really that's not me. That's not how I operate. So you got to kind of take what you can from each one is kind of what I'm saying. How do you find these business coaches? You know, like, do you just come across them on LinkedIn or are you just coming across them at events? Like, you know, how does that work? Curiosity helps from every part of your life, whether it's like LinkedIn, whether it's networking events or friends of friends. There could be the person at your local pub who's operating an eight-figure business, wearing shorts, rocking around. He or she is pretty relaxed and um, it's important to just learn that to not judge books by covers, always remain curious. And when you surround yourself with that kind of old saying, like, you know, you are the five closest people around you and you get that circle around you, you get to meet some pretty interesting people. And also when you pay to play, this is something that many people forget. And I, I say this concept often, but the fastest learning has come from me spending a lot of money. And then look, it might be sad to some who might be starting at a position without that, but sometimes those who start without that money, when they get it, they keep it to themselves. Yeah. They're like, wow, this is great. <laughs> I'm earning X now. I'm earning 100K. I got a promotion. I'm earning 200. I'm earning in uh, business is going good 500. But the thing is, you got to give it away again so you yeah. can figure out new secrets. And that's what I learned quickly. I became part of masterminds. I became, I found, you know, people at weddings of friends who ran businesses. I was curious on wedding tables and found what they did was in awe of what they did and realized that, hey, this person can help me rather than figure out if they're the one and do a hundred layers of research. Just say yes. You know, let that money flow. And if it comes back to you in multiple, you know, levels, it only comes back to you in multiple levels if you let it flow. It doesn't come there from, you know, sitting there. So I was a big spender in these areas of personal development and some was a waste of money. I'm like, what the hell was that for? And some have been phenomenal and I'm glad I opened those doors through paying for them. And that's an interesting concept many people fail to get. But outside of all those organic activities, you have to pay to play and, you have to take what you want from him rather than sulk about what was a bad investment or, or that sort of stuff. So 
What's your relationship then with money? It doesn't feel that you have uh, too much of an emotional attachment to money. Like, have you always been a big spender? Yeah, I haven't been a big spender in the space of like things. I, I mean, I had a phase, I'd say, but who doesn't in their 20, early 20s when I was like, you know, going out and about, food, dining, you know, outings, friends, travel, material things. Like you have your phases. Yeah. But for most of my life, no, I haven't been a spender on things. I've just never kind of been attached to it in that way. Right. And I think to do with multiple learnings in life, because you know what? I have brothers, I have family members, and they're not all the same. So what was unique about the experiences one can go through in life is that how you reflect on it and realize what you learned mm. because me and my brothers and other family members, we've all gone through the same life experiences We're in the same house. Like we yeah. go through the same things at home, similar things at work. I just feel like I took a moment to take a pit stop, look at it, learn, write it down, figure it out, move on. And so I'll give you some examples. I was born in housing commission in New Zealand. You know, my parents never made me feel like I was from there. They spoiled me. And there's nothing wrong with being from there. I was from there. But the key thing is that the environment around me, as the years went on, I figured out, wait, that's not normal to be in those areas when I was talking to many others. But also it's not normal for the parents to spoil you whilst you're in that environment and make you feel like that. And so... I took away from that the generosity or the or the you know just unselfishness for their kids and family and just spending money on people that you love around you. So that was some of the things I took out even if it was every dollar for them, right? So these are the starting points and then later on in life it translated to my dad around the table telling me all the stories about oh you know if your mom didn't say this I would have bought this property and and uh you know like Oh, I could have bought this in 2009 for like 40K or 200K. And I bought this deal like this and I wish I hadn't sold it. Yeah. And so hearing that makes me go, cool, that's so cool story, but you're an idiot. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like each of these moments in life, I just feel like what was different between me and my brothers and maybe those around me was I just took from it what they were saying rather than just let it go in one ear and go from the other. Yeah. And so as a result, Whenever investment opportunities came up, like like this year, 2022, interest rates have gone up five times in the last five months and I bought myself five properties, mm. right? Like I have no attachment to that money. I just know the power of what it can do. Um, pandemic hits, the lockdown, customer backs out of a property because their financial circumstances are substantially impacted. I wasn't sitting flush with cash, but with whatever cash I had, I said, let's go. Mm. And I bought it to save their deposit so they could get it back. So I didn't look like an idiot to the sales agent saying, hey, I know finance is mm. approved, but can we mm. get out of this contract? Mm. I had to get out of it with something to get back in. And I put my own money on the line when we were locked down. So there's all these stories of moments where, you know, I had a moment in business where I had 15K left in my bank account, but to the outside world, it looked like everything was going phenomenally. But I was like, hey, I'm reinvesting everything in marketing and paid ads many years ago. And I was just going for it. So, you know, like then I have moments where I have a million in the bank account and I don't know what to do with it. So like you, you go through these moments, but there's no attachment to the money. And I think that's where I definitely feel no attachment to it. And I've been going through many stories in life and picking out that you've got to invest. That was one big thing. 
uh, whether it's in business yourself or real estate or other assets, through your hard work, you can get it back through smart work. You can get it back, you know, abundance mindsets, all these sorts of things and not feeling so attached to it's also made me not feel the emotions of it going away or leaving you. And, and, you know, every year or two, I actually do quote unquote, get broke. It's basically me just saying, take all my cash, put it into investments and then build it back up again. That's why I don't have any attachment to it because I keep investing it back in and, and just trust myself, my team that it will come back up. Yeah, it's such a powerful way of thinking and I appreciate that you sharing so many of those stories. They're just the kind of stories that people want to hear and they get inspired by including your team. So it's super nice to hear some of those stories that, you know, we often don't get to talk about because we're too busy talking about the next thought leadership on property and the next tip. So, you know, to, get, trying you to, so, keep real. <laughs> yeah, um, to get you so raw and authentic is really nice uh, to hear. So Mike, other couple of things that I've noticed about you is your decision making. And as I've been working with you is, you know, it's just the ability to operate and make decisions very fast and very quickly. And, and I don't know if that, you know, someone's taught you that to fail fast and move on if that's your approach, because there's lots of approaches like high slowly and then fire fast in terms of team. But just being able to make that decision quickly is something that I've noticed. Is that something that how you've always operated because again, the lack of fear in fucking up. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this started in the banking days, the quick decision-making. So I was in the office, I was grinding and 5.30 AM I'm in, 8, 9 PM I'm leaving. And I was doing, I was studying full-time, I was doing my MBA full-time as well, straight after 8.39 PM and trying to smash that out of the park full-time too. And that taught me something. And what it taught me is that if I worked hard enough, I'd be able to get myself out of any situation. And the same thing I saw my dad growing up. You know, he's a mechanic, fixes cars his whole life. And he's moved countries multiple times. He's moved cities. He's, you know, fixed anything and everything, um, raising three kids and like his hands are blistered as you could be and there's cuts and cracks and things and everywhere. And, you know, in his 60s now, he doesn't want to stop. But there was something in this whole work hard to get myself out of anything that created a bit of self-belief to go, you know what, just go for it. What's the worst case? It's the worst case is that it doesn't work. You're not attached to money anyway. You can go back and work yourself back up because, you know, that lack of attachment to money, but at the same time, that self-confidence to go whether it was at the branches and you're moving between branches turning underperforming branches to outperforming in top of the country branches through just absolute three years worth of work in one year you know whether it's starting a buyer's agency the market's declining in sydney but you get back to a customer before they do you text them back faster than anyone else you call them back faster than anyone else you call agents multiple times you don't know an answer to a certain research, you study it four times more in the same time that someone else could. So these sorts of habits lead you to a point in self-belief where you just go, no, if that person's doing it, why can't I? Or if this person is going to say this could work and it doesn't work, well, good. I'll just, I'll just grind myself back up to learn. And I learned five things through making those mistakes. And because I have a self-belief of being able to regenerate cash flow or regenerate through outworking, 
It's just a self-belief that's created that decision-making. I resonate with so much of your story of your growing up, you coming here, your dad, my dad, like there's so much connection I feel when you talk and I've always felt it when we've you know, talked about hearing it now. I'm like, oh my God, there's so many similarities in, you know, the hustle of being a migrant to a country maybe and the dads and, you know, doing stuff. So thank you for sharing my final final thing for you before we wrap up was you talked a lot about pay to play and there's a lot you do on your personal branding you put a lot of content a lot of effort out there what is your perspective on personal branding and as a as a founder ceo is that something that you know is that what you did to differentiate yourself and you know what's your recommendation to others i think firstly people need to realize that Customers connect with humans, not brands. I think brands come later on as time goes on, but the truth is customers connect with humans. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, you may want to look or not be the person that does everything all the time and you want to see your company grow and scale. That's okay. Like there are ways to do that. But at the same time, you can do that while still building a personal brand, right? I haven't taken on personally a new client for myself. The team's taken it on since November last year. Yet I've been the person on every Channel 7, Sunrise, Weekend Today, Yahoo Finance, AFR, LinkedIn, and all that sort of stuff. But that's a key thing to realize, that people feel this fear of, you know, the business scale will suffer if I'm too much ahead. But no, you are the business to begin with, and people connect with you. So really realizing that was the first thing. The second thing was personal branding won't really mean much until you can figure out who you want to talk to. I learned that quickly as well. My first two years of personal branding, I did more activities than I do today. Isn't that crazy? I did more activities my first two years than I did today, yet none of those things worked. Not because I wasn't patient and those things could have worked, but because I'm just throwing messages into the thin air when every single competitor can do that too. Whereas now... I will intentionally speak my heart out on complex data. And if you don't get it, that's okay. I'm not talking to you anyway. Mm. You can take your time to self-educate, learn about our research, learn about our data-driven methodologies, and then join the conversation and be back at that party and go, dude, I know what you're talking about now. Cool. Welcome at that time. Or, you know, if you're going to take that time to go and learn, go for it. But if you don't get it, that's okay. I'm not here to change who I talk to or how I talk to different audiences. I'm here to be like, this is me. I'm data-driven. I'm technical. I'd like to go into complex real estate modeling and data modeling. And I try and simply explain it where I can. But if you don't connect with it, if that's not your vibe, if you like the look of the house, it's all good. I'm not speaking to you. What about when you would go on Facebook Lives and other things when you were studying it? And would you like, if no one shows up, for example, would there be that situation ever happening or, you know, fear of that? And, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do these things and I might be like, it feels quite, you know, strange. Like I'm building my personal brand. Has that yeah. happened? And how would you overcome that? It's my last oh, question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Heck yeah. That happens all the time at the start. I remember like, I, I, you know what? I remember this phase where I went into my YouTube and uh, that's another thing, right? My, in my YouTube channel, I haven't really nailed that yet. I'm still starting to learn that. And so I'm I'm at that same no one knows me on YouTube mm -hmm. uh, now as I was in any other areas in the past. And so 
The truth is with so many new things coming out all the time, no matter how growing your business brand or where you are, you're going to be new to something. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I might be on TV every month or quarter, but I'm new to TikTok. I've never yeah. been on TikTok. Yeah. I might be on TV, uh, TV every month or quarter, but I'm new to YouTube. Yeah. Like no one on YouTube knows me. Yeah. But I'm hoping through actions, through professionals, through um, coaches, through pay to play, again, bringing yeah. back, back that up, yeah. I will make mistakes fast. I'll learn what works and I'll get it right and I'll be everywhere to make more impact than what we do. So, like, I think you've got to just realize that that's part of the journey. And at the start, um, that was that was definitely part of it. I can remember a lot of videos. And, you know, the, the one I remember most now is the ones where you do it in your car because you're scared that people aren't going to, you know, people are going to hear you or you want to kind of video yourself. I remember a lot of those videos. I remember a lot of, um, you know, retakes. And now I'm just like, almost never do retakes only because it's not authentic. And now my flashy testimonials, they're nowhere to be seen. They're recorded like this and they're just catch-ups. Like it is what it is. You say something that slips up. Well, no, you didn't slip up. You're just saying what you thought. And, and so that's all good. Say what you think. And so that's kind of how content has progressed for me and personal branding's progressed for me. But it's all about, yes, doing it. You are the business no matter how much you want your team or things to grow, they will grow. They can operate the business, but you are the face of the business. Secondly is you'll always be new at something. Like I'm still new at TikTok and YouTube today, no matter how many times I'm on TV. And then the third thing is just that you just got to do it and learn and bring on experts and you'll get there faster. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Arjun. Check out Arjun's stuff. We did not get into all his property stuff because he has so much of it on LinkedIn. If he is a brand on LinkedIn, an influencer over there. So he's got lots of lots of great content that comes out. So if you would like to follow his journey and his thoughts on property investment growth, he is one of the best out there to follow. So go on and follow him. And I'm really excited to launch this, Arjun, and share some of your personal parts of your journey. Let's do it. It's, uh, it's uh, definitely been a while since I've shared some of these things. In some cases, I've never shared any of them. Um, but a good questions and appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, I hope that just, you know, all the honesty there and upfront thoughts that I had in mind help someone. I'm sure it will. Thank you. You're listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind.